My name's Herminia Ibarra, and this is Leader Lab. So who are you and what do you do? I'm Herminia Ibarra, and I'm a professor of organizational behavior at INSEAD Business School. Uh, INSEAD is an international business school that has campuses in France, in Singapore, and in Abu Dhabi, and I'm based in France. I live in Paris, and uh, our campus is about an hour south in Fontainebleau. And I'm, I'm a researcher. I, uh, the main thing I study are career transitions and how people develop in their careers. So I look at leader de leadership development. I look at how people make career changes. I look at how they figure out who they are and who they want to be when they grow up, and I write about it. Uh, that, see, that's intimidating because I'm still not sure I know who I want to be when I grow up. So Me that's, neither. Yeah, well, that's good. Good, <laughs> good. good. So, and, and one of the ways that you have sort of encapsulated all of those lessons from your research is in the new book, Act Like a Leader, Think Like a Leader. Now, I, I have to, I, I want to say something about the book, and I think this translates into the, the primary sort of thesis of the book. When I, when I first read the title, I was a little confused because there's a lot of stuff about how to think properly, right? Or as other people will say, thinking about thinking or research and metacognition and that sort of a thing. And, and not so much in, or, 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 or I should say, there's a lot in the acting, here's what you do, here's how to be a one-minute manager, et cetera, et cetera. There's been decades of research in both of those two domains. But this was the first time I'd seen somebody come out and say, well, wait a minute, time out. If you want to think like a leader, there's only one way to do it, and that's to actually step out and acts. And that, that seemed to me to be the pre predominant theme throughout the entire book, which I think is really funny because it's true. Thoughts follow actions. But tell us a little bit about that as the idea and how that lays into what you call the outside principle, the, the primary thesis of the book. Right, and that's exactly, that's exactly the connection. Sure, I mean, we spend most of the t our time, even, you know, in, in what I do as a professor, is getting to get people to think differently about things. But the problem is it doesn't stick because it's very superficial. It's not grounded in anything that they know how to do, have tried doing, and value doing. And, and so what I have come to find just in seeing people and researching people as they're stepping up into either bigger leadership roles or just very unfamiliar situations, there's no getting around just trying it, just doing new things, just learning to act like a leader. And those are the things that slowly over time change the way you think about what's important, about what's valuable, about how you can contribute. And that's really deep grounding then for the new behaviors that you want to get. And as it turns out, my background is in psychology. There's a massive body of research in psychology that shows that behaviors shape our attitudes rather than the other way around. It's not our attitudes, the way we think, that really shape our behavior. We always have these huge gaps between what we think and what we actually do. And so the only way to really get to a new way of thinking that translates into you, how you behave is experimentally by trial and error. Hmm. Yeah, and, and the, book, the book lays out a lot of different um, ways to sort of try out that trial and error and ways to sort of look at it. And, and I, by the way, I love, I don't know, did you coin the term outsight or not? But the idea of as... I as did, a, I made it up. <laughs> I, well, no, I think, it's, I think it's great as opposed to insight. You have to sort of look outside of yourself to get insight, if it were, or et cetera. And you, you talk about a, a, a bunch of different things in redefining your job. And uh, my, my personal favorite... Um, you, you sort of revive the uh, the uh, networking idea, which I think is awesome. 
But um, I actually let's let's and I'm throwing you a curveball here because I know I said I wanted to start with the networks thing, but let's start with the redefining the job thing because I think. A lot of times we, well, we don't think about our jobs and we don't act into those sort of new roles that you were talking about. We just sort of look at the job description, the incentive plan, and then go for it. So tell me a little bit about redefining your job as, as part of becoming a better leader. So if you look at the way most of us do our jobs, really whatever they are, they, we get into a routine. We do, we do what's urgent. We do what's required of us. We go to a lot of meetings. Uh, we keep pushing the envelope forward, and we tell ourselves, gee, I should really create some time to think more strategically about what we should be doing or about the business. But it doesn't really happen because the daily grind drives that out. The problem is, unless you start defining your job in a very different way and carving out time for discovery, for activities outside of what you do, for other projects, um, for some of the networking, you're never going to be motivated enough to kind of kick that habit and create space for the new activities in which you can add more value. And so it's, it's really saying to people, don't just take your job as it's given. Make it a platform to not just contribute more but to grow yourself. You get creative with what it might be. And as you do so, you will find that you will have more ideas that will be really valuable for the business. And I, and I love that insight, not just from, uh, from bringing value to the organization, but also sort of bringing value and meaning to your work. I, my day job, I teach undergraduate students. And un- undergrads are really interesting because I think they still think in, in job descriptions and right answers. And, and they've identified that sort of one job that this is, this is what I want to do. How do I go find a position for that? And I have to sort of get them to step back and go, well, no, let's, let's take a deeper thought and reflection about you and the activities that engage you and stimulate you, you know, intellectually. And you'll probably find there's a variety of different jobs, right? And then I think the same thing applies once you get into one of those different jobs. There's a variety of different ways that you can bring value through your role to the organization. It's not just doing the things that, you know, someone in HR wrote up in a job description 30 years ago when they created that box in the series of boxes and lines. If you can, if you can get some outsight on it, you can find much better ways to bring value both to them but also to yourself. Well, two important things there, David. One is, and that's where the networks piece comes in, unless you have a broad and diverse network, you're not even going to be aware of all the different possibilities and interesting and exciting things you can do, either in terms of new jobs or growing your own job. The other thing I want to add is that there's something particular about the transition to a bigger leadership role because what happens is people come into their jobs and they come into their careers and they start getting really good at certain things and they get promoted and rewarded for doing those things, and in today's world, you get piled on even more responsibilities and things to do because everybody's on a short string, and so what happens is there's less and less room to develop new ways of thinking, to uh, develop your capacity to lead at a higher level. And it's really at that transition where all the pressure is going to be on you to just deliver on the day job as it's defined today. However, your, the assessment of your potential to lead at a higher level, to get a promotion, to get other opportunities is going to depend on what you do with that job and how you stretch it and grow it and make it your own and add new possibilities to it. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. And and you hinted at it again. Let's let's go ahead and, and talk about it. My my favorite part of the piece, and it's funny offline before we started recording, you you mentioned probably why, but uh, long term listeners know that I'm sort of fascinated with 
networks and network science, uh, especially from a creativity and innovation standpoint, because that's where new ideas come from. But even my, my students in my day job will know that I probably talk about Stanley Milgram and Brian Uzi and Jared Spiro way too much. Um, as far as far as networks, but and and it's funny because when I when I begin to bring up the concept of of networks and the importance of them, there's a sort of groan from a lot of leaders that I talk to, right? Because at least in in the U.S. and I think in a lot of the Western world, when we think networking, we think running around to these mixers and throw thrusting business cards in the hands of everybody, and we think of that sort of kind of cheesy person that that one cheesy person who's just trying to figure out what they can get out of it. And that's not what you talk about it at all. And I love the section on taking taking a good sort of audit of your networks and also figuring out how to sort of revive it. Um, I love it so much. Actually, I was telling. I was telling you off for, for our listeners. I actually read the, got an advanced copy of the book, read that chapter, really liked it, and and the other day was reading uh, a, a an art an excerpt that was posted on Harvard Business Review uh, online, and and thinking, wow, this is really really great, and got like twenty five percent into it before I realized I was rereading the the chapter because it was an excerpt from that chapter. I, I like it so much. So, <laughs> let's talk about that. How how does one revive their sort of network, or how does one analyze their network? Because that network becomes the lifeblood of those new ideas and new experiences. Yeah. So, you know, I just have to start by saying most of the people I meet also have that kind of queasy feeling about the networking as a a kind of exchange of business cards and how can I line up people so I can use them. But at the same time, they know that they need a good network to advance and to develop themselves. And so they're really ambivalent. I know I need it, but I don't feel very good about it. And they have very naive uh, views of what it means because it's certainly much more than what you do when you go to a cocktail party and exchange business cards. So the first thing I get them to do is to just kind of step back and put some names down on paper so that they can take an audit of who they're talking to to generate ideas. Really, not who do you network with, but who do you talk to about things that matter to you? The minute they put those names down on paper, they see the limitations immediately. And the limitations are we talk to people who are too much like us. We talk to people who are around us on a regular basis, so it's easy to talk to them. We don't have to go out of our ways. And we talk to people who all know each other, and so the information that circulates is kind of redundant. And not only that, because they all talk to each other and they've known you forever, they don't really have much imagination about what else you might do. The whole thing kind of puts a real damper on your possibilities as well as your ability to generate ideas and contribute. And so once people kind of get that light bulb going, they do get a little bit more motivated to go out of their way And then it's important to just see that it's a daily practice. It's something about how you go about doing your job daily. Do you take opportunities to reach out to people? Back to what we talked about in terms of growing your job. Are you going to do your job as it's narrowly defined, or are you going to go out of your way to sign up for additional projects, to get involved in task forces, to be involved in your industry association, to go to conferences so you can bring ideas back? All of those things revive the network. And what happens is actually really magical. Once people start doing a couple of smart things to branch out, they see the value immediately and it becomes quite self-perpetuating. Yeah, I I totally agree. And I I think you're right. It's kind of funny to me that that groaning about networking, to me, in some cases, is the cause, that and just sort of inertia of, you know, that we talk to those same people. That's another great example of act like a leader, think like a leader. So you're sitting around thinking, gosh, this is a lot of work, and I don't have the time, and I don't know if it's going to be really useful because 
what's good. I don't know what's going to pay off. But if you actually do it, if you act, <laughs> it changes the way you think about the value of networking because you see what you get out of it. You see what you can give back to it. And that gets you on a different action cycle. Absolutely. Absolutely. And now one other thing I really, really enjoyed about this book is that you know, we, we academics tend to get a bad rap sometimes that we're all that we're all theory, that we're not applicable, et cetera. <laughs> I know. And I, I think it's I think it's interesting because one of my one of my arguments has always been, well, time out. We work inside of organizations too. The, it, I mean, I don't know about the marketing and the management, the the finance professors and those sort of things, but management professors, we still work in organizations, right? Therefore, if we're studying work behavior, we still have a a daily experience. And you actually talk about it at the very end of your book that a lot of the concepts in this book are things that were part of your own learning curve when you stepped into a leadership role. Yes, you did have to bring that up, didn't you? <laughs> of course. You know I would have zoomed because, in on that. But one of the benefits, of course, of being a professor in business is that you can tell people what they should be doing without necessarily doing any of it yourself since we mostly teach it right for a living. But you're right. Um, we also we also lead our groups. I've been chair of my department at INSEAD. Uh, I've been involved in leading a number of different initiatives. And, uh, and I went through the same learning curve of feeling like um, I, I wasn't so sure uh, the different kinds of leadership activities I was asked to take up added much value, but they were taking up time from my real work, which is actually teaching and writing, uh, that I was investing a lot of time and energy without that much payoff because in the end, I wasn't so sure there was any buy-in for the ideas that I was putting out. And the realization that I got that was very much like what my the managers I was studying were going through was that the reason why it wasn't paying off is because I wasn't investing enough in it uh, in order to make it pay off because I was defining my real job as a producing, a doing uh, kind of job as opposed to the leading. Hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I would bet once you stepped into that chair role, that also had an effect on your networks and all of the other things as well. It's, it's interesting, right? Your, your proof of concept just in yourself that uh, you, you thought you, you, you thought like a leader in a sense or thought you thought like a leader. And it wasn't until you acted and made the investment to redefine your job, build out the networks, do the things you advocate in the book that your role as chair uh, ex- expanded and really stepped into that leadership role. You you know I was going to pick on you in that. I know it's it's in that last <laughs> section for – I think you might have put it in that last part of the book just so that b- maybe people wouldn't read it, but I zoomed in right it, on it's that. It's funny. It's the one that everybody's picked up on. I guess everybody likes true confessions. It, it took me a long time to come to that realization. I will have to admit that much. Yeah. <laughs> no, I think that's very true. And, you know, actually staying in that theme of, of focusing on you, let's transition a bit from the book and ask you the questions we ask all of our guests – um, the first being, what are you reading right now? Okay. Well, I have to say, right now, I'm not doing a lot of reading. Um, I'm doing mostly uh, writing, uh, writing articles based on the book, uh, reaching out, uh, talking about the book to everybody and anybody. Um, but I have a book on my uh, night table that I have been trying to get through and not going very fast. And it's a novel uh, called Americana written by Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie, whose name is hard to, to, to sell. To you say. get the gold star. That was brilliant. <laughs> and uh, it's a fantastic book uh, about uh, being in two different cultures. It's, about, it's a story about a, a Nigerian woman who immigrates to uh, the United States and how she's kind of stuck in between these two cultures and trying to figure it out. And uh, I'm hoping that I'll get through it one of these days. <laughs> 
You know, it's funny. There's some parallels in your description of that to some of the things in the book. Again, it sort of comes back to that network thing and taking a broader, getting outside of your comfort zone and getting a broader perspective. I, it, it sounds like an interesting read because I'm sure that she has a, a perspective on, yeah, as an American, I'm sure she has a perspective on us that I couldn't even have unless I did something similar. So I, I have to, I'll have to pick it up and get some insight on well, my own country. If you have time for another connection on that, um, I hadn't thought about it before, but there is a parallel in the sense that all of us have our old self, what we used to do, what we've always done, what we've been good at, how we've defined ourselves in the past, and then we hit new situations and we have kind of aspirations for the future that are kind of fuzzy and not very well grounded and we're not really clear how we're going to be this next iteration of ourselves and we're trying to integrate and put the pieces together and that's not unlike the experience of some of the leaders that I've studied. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely, it's it's that outside term. I'm, I don't. I know you coined it. You should trademark it. We're gonna. It's it's gonna run. I see that as maybe that's the follow up book. Just out outside two point How do how do we get more of it, etc. Well, you know, I had a fight with my editors over that. I wanted to call the book the Outside Principle, but um, but act like a leader won out, and for good reason. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, like I like I said, it's a it's a great. I think it's a great title just because it. It, if you read the whole title, you actually have to rethink what it's trying to tell you, right? Think like a leader is too easy. You have to actually act to think like a leader first. It, it leads to an interesting question. It's actually the second question we ask everybody, which is, you know, the book the book is out. And the irony of writing any book is that then you have to write about the book almost as much as you wrote the words in the book. Um, but I wonder if, you, if you're not peeking out on the horizon. I wonder if, do, do you know what's next for you? What are you working on now? What are you looking forward to in the future to work on? Oh my, I am very, very much focused on the writing about the book at this point in time. Um, I don't, I'm not sure I have a good answer for you on that. I, um, I do have a far-off project about the self at work that has to do with the themes of identity and who we are and how we figure out who we want to be and how that changes and morphs with different experiences, but it's still pretty fuzzy. Hmm. Well, I mean, it's it, you're you're in the uh, in the midst of promoting the book, so we don't we don't fault you for that. But I <clears throat> I always know you, you're uh, as as an academic, there's always stuff in the corner of your mind. If you're truly doing the outside thing, there's always things that you're thinking about further out that can gain more perspective. So we'll be we'll be looking for that as that gets more clear. But in the meantime, of course, we'll be looking at uh, act like a leader, think like a leader. It's an it's an awesome read. So for those of you listening. Uh, if you want to be uncomfortable and then get more perspective and be a better leader and lead smarter, you have to start acting yeah, in, in ways that you might not have expected. And so pick up, act like a leader, think like a leader, um, and begin to act like a leader so that you can think like a leader. The title says it all. Um, Herminia, thank you so much for joining us inside the Leader Lab. Thank you, David. I really enjoyed it. Hey everybody, it's Dave. Thanks for listening to the whole episode. If you want more, go to davidberkus.com slash podcast. And check out my friend Sean Murphy's Work That Matters podcast. Go to switchandshift.com and click Work That Matters podcast. Check it out.